like, just leave me alone. I just need to cry for a little bit. I was like, look, we're going to church, and I got to preach. If I don't know why you're crying, everybody's going to have a problem. Talk to me. And she, she's like, it's just the dog, and it's this. And she, was, she cried a little bit. And, and the whole thing was, it's a significant responsibility. I woke up this morning at 5, 5.30, and I, I roll over, and Mary's not there. And I realized the dog was crying. She got upstairs, went down, 5 o'clock in the morning, fed the dog, took the dog outside to use the restroom, and then fell asleep on the couch so that the dog would stop crying. So, <laughs> so again, it seems all good when you see the little puppy, but in her eyes, it's like, this is another responsibility. You're going to take off and go to work. The kids are going to take off and go to school. I'm not going to be able to rescue. i got to take care of this dog. Right? And then for me... I've never been a dog person, and here's why. I loved my dog as a kid growing up, and when I was, I don't know, I must have been eight or nine, whatever it was, maybe 10, we lost our dog, and it just broke my heart. I was like, man, forget dogs. I don't want another dog, ever. But then I got married, and I said, you know what? It's new. God's good. I got a, I got a wife, and I'm going to get her a dog. I got her a little puppy, a little pit bull. And I started to fall in love with, with dogs again, and then that little pit bull puppy turned into a giant beast of a monster. And I loved her still, but we had kids, and it was like, look, do the kids get to go in the backyard, or does Bonnie own the backyard? So I chose the kids. So then my heart was broken again, man. I had a dog again. Then we had to give this dog up, and it was just really hard. So I decided, you know, I'm done. I'm done with dogs. And I made fun of dog people, and I told people to keep their dog. My brother-in-law, Ray, here, I said, hey, bro, when I come to your house, leave the dogs outside. You have a wolf. That's not a dog. It's a wolf. <laughs> and I don't play like that. So I tell them those things and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden... Now that we have kids and my kids are getting older, you know, I love my kids, right? I love my kids and I want to see them happy. When they get around other people's dogs, you can see their faces light up and it just started to wear on me to the point where I was like, you know what, Lord, I would do it, but they cost too much. I would do it, but we don't have time. And then Mel calls like, hey, you want a free dog, free puppy? Like, Come on. <laughs> Removing all of these barriers out of the way, right? So I was compelled to get this dog, to get mercy, not because I wanted the dog, and not because I became a dog person again or I love dogs again, but because I love my own children, I wanted to, to get this dog. And because I love them, it's compelled me, right, to extend my love to this new puppy, right? So here's one more picture. It's me and my dog. <laughs> so, so... If you know anything about me, I'm like, don't touch me, don't lick me, don't. And, and everybody's making fun of me at the house because I'm laid up with the dog and she's licking my face. I'm like, what happened to me, Lord? This ain't me. But it started, listen to me, it started with my love for my kids, right? And then wanting them to be happy and to have joy. And because I love them and I want them to be happy and have joy, what it's done is it's, it's caused me to enlarge my territory, to extend my love further than what I wanted it to be or what I expected it to be, Amen. That's what love does. It compounds upon itself. It extends. It multiplies, right? So no, we are not going to be talking about dogs this morning. What we are going to be talking about is you and I loving people and having to make room to love them. We have to love people, and then we have to make room to love more people. We have to understand that sometimes when you're all love and all joy, the, purple, the people that you love, like I love my wife, it's not all love and it's not all joy. She sees responsibility. So how do we still extend? How do we still enlarge our territory? 
how do we do the things that God's told us to do when you've got kids who are happy and want the dog? You're, you're feeling better and extending your love, but you have a woman that you love and a wife that you love that says, hey, I'm tired of extending. I don't have any more resources. I don't have any more love to give. How do we do it if this is what God has truly called us to do? Isaiah 54, verse 2, one last time, said, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. To go to the right and to the left means to do what? We're going horizontal. We're going horizontal. That's what our message is titled this morning. It's part of our Right Angle series. God says, enlarge, extend, don't hold back. If you got a little bit of love, don't hold it in reserves. You better give that out. You are going to extend to the right and to the left. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would enlarge us, that you would extend us, Lord, that you would lengthen our cords, Lord, that you would allow us to go further than we've gone before, that we would truly go to the right and go to the left, Lord God, that we would remember that first and foremost, we have to go straight up 90 degrees vertical unto you, and then by default, you are going to send us to the right and to the left, that we would go horizontally, Lord. Your desire is that love would be multiplied, Lord God. Your desire is that those that we love would compel us to love others, God. Your desire is to meet every need when we feel like we can't go any further, when we feel like we don't have any more to give, when we're tired of responsibility, when we're overwhelmed and burdened, Lord God. You say, come to me, all you who are uh, burdened and heavy laden, and you will give us rest, Lord. You, You can and will provide and meet every need, but you will not sacrifice love, Lord God. You will not allow us to stay where we are without going horizontally. So just have your way over this message. Have your way over my words. Let them be your words, Lord, over every heart and mind that's here, Father God. You know what we're going through. The same way that in one family you can have excited and joyful children, Lord God, and a burdened and focused on difficulties in a wife, Lord God, and a husband who honestly has no idea what's really going on. You have the same thing going on within your church, Lord. You can minister to all of us wherever we are this morning in our difficulties, in our joy, in our happiness, in our needs, Father God, in our abundance. You're capable this morning. So just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So let's look at Jesus first. Jesus is always going vertical and horizontal. When we talk about this series, and last week we said, you've got to go vertical. You can do it. It's hard. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to wait and listen for God to say something. If you look at Jesus, he always made time to pray. He always understood and knew the word and spoke the word, right? He always was willing to get away. He'd be with his disciples. He said, you guys go ahead and go across the lake, right? And I'm going to go up on top of the mountain and talk to my father. But he was always also going horizontal, reaching to people, loving people, showing compassion, healing people, forgiving people, ministering to people. 100% of the time he was going vertical, and 100% of the time he was going horizontally. That's a good God. Somebody say amen. Amen. And if you call yourself a Christian, we're supposed to be what? Like Christ. Like Christ. Not churchgoers. Not just readers, right? Right? Didn't James say that right now? Faith without works is dead. Not just believers, but those that have got to that place of faith, got to that place in church, got to that place in our word where we're going vertical, but also that we would go horizontal and have works associated with it. John chapter 17, verse 22, it'll be up here for you if you don't have your Bibles. John 17, 22 says this. Jesus says, he's talking to the Father, he's going vertical. He says, the glory which you gave me 
I've given it to them that they may be one just as we are one. We talked about unity last week. Verse 23, I am in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says, the love that I have experienced by going vertically, I have shared horizontally. The same way that you and I are united, I have united myself horizontally with others. He said, the glory that you gave me, I gave that glory to them. Last week, we saw that the right angle to go vertical is 90 degrees, straight up, right? No twists, no turns, not 89 degrees, not 91 degrees, you got to go 90, right? If you start at 91, you think, oh, that's not too bad, I'm a pretty good Christian. But what about after five years, how far off are you? What about after 10 years, how far off are you? What about after 20 years of marriage, how far off are you from that one degree that you were off? It's got to be 90, it's got to be straight up and down. It's got to be by scripture alone, right? No additives. So what's the right angle for going horizontal? If it's got to be 90 to go vertical, what's the right angle for going horizontal? 180 degrees is the right angle. 180 degree, degrees is to stop being focused on self primarily and to make a complete turn or 180 degree turn and to be one who is focused on others, right? 180 degree, 80 degrees is to go horizontally. To turn though, where we begin, where we start, we are primarily focused on self. We are selfish, that's just the reality. Me. You and everybody else, when we come to the Lord, the hope is that that changes, that we change our angle, we go 180 degrees and begin to focus on others, but it's still difficult. When I went and picked up that puppy, I wasn't focused on Mary. I was focused on my kids and what I wanted. It was selfish. And thank God that I have good men around me, because Gary gave me like the best idea the whole time because what I was going to do is just put her in a bad position. I was going to bring the dog home, run in the house, and be like, look, everybody, and then there's nothing she could do, right? She could be mad if she wants to, but the kids are already in love, so she just got to deal with it. And Gary's like, hey, man, you might want to call your wife and at least let her come outside first. That way, if she comes out and she flips out, you could just say, all right, this ain't our dog, and I'm going to go home and be happy. You can give the dog to somebody else. I was like, man, that sounds like a really good idea. But I was selfish. I didn't care. And then I did. I called her outside, she came outside, I gave her the dog. No, actually, she almost cried right down the spot. She, I rolled down the window, she saw the dog on me, she was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I jumped out of the car, and I just put the dog in her hands, and then the dog like put her, put her head on Mary's shoulder, and then you could see it was like, she was mad, but she still felt the love. She was like, and that's when I hit her. Hey, babe, if you don't want the dog, we don't have to tell the kids, and she was already convicted. It ain't right. It ain't right, but we got a dog. All you men out there? <laughs> uh, you know what I did before? You know what I did before? She, she's been asking for this, like, this little white kitchen rolling like, cabinet thing. For like a month, she's been asking for it. And every time she asks, I find a, a creative way of saying, no, nah, babe, we can't afford it, right? So this week, when I knew I was going to get the dog, I was like, hey, have you, have you, have you found that cabinet thing that you wanted? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need me to pick it up? I'll, I mean, I can go get it for you. So she went and bought it. And then it was just sitting in the garage for the rest of the week. And then I started, I was like, oh, yeah. 
I told her, why don't you go get your hair did on Friday, girl? You know what I'm saying? Go ahead, do your thing. So she went out Friday. She got her hair done, right? Then I got home from work. I was like, don't even worry about the kids. Maybe I'll meet you on the way to get your hair. I'll come from work. Give me the kids. Right? Took the kids, took them home, fed them, did all that. Then I saw the cabinet when I rolled in. I'm like, yeah, she's going to come home from getting her hair done. I got the kids, and the cabinet's going to be put together. I was sweating like crazy because I had to go get the dog. But I put the cabinet together, had it in the spot she wanted it in. So then when I come with the dog, man, if you're paying attention out there, you got to set these things up. Don't just come home like we got a dog. Nah, hair, nails, cabinet, dog, we good. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to go vertical. I need prayer. I need repentance. Last week we saw that, though, the right angle, 90 degrees to go vertical. Right angle to go horizontal, right, is 180 degrees. Turn from that selfishness, the focus on self and focus on others. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says this, greater love, say love. love, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. If you want to know about love, Jesus says there is no greater display of love than to say, you know what, I'm going to lay down my life, my desires, what I want, and I'm not only just going to lay it down to say that I did it, I'm going to lay it down for others, for my friends, to show love. Jesus says that that's the greatest love. Put it on display. Lay down your life for others. And he's not just talking because he laid down his life for others. Amen? He was willing to give up his life, his freedom, his desires, right, for others, for you and I. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, these 316s, we might have to do a message on 316. I think it was when we did uh, Scripture Alone. I think it was 2 Timothy 316 that said every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All right? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then here in 1 John 3.16, it says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love. You recognize what he did, and you do the same. You're upset in your marriage? Lay down your life for her. You're upset in your marriage? Lay down your life for me. <laughs> You're upset with your kids? Lay down your life for your kids. You don't get to get everything. You don't get to have all the new stuff. You don't get to get your clothes always taken to the cleaners. Why? Because your kids need stuff, and they need to play sports, and they need clothes so they're not ridiculed at school. Lay down your life for somebody else. You're upset with the coaches that are out there, and they don't play your kid, and they don't coach them up right? Well, then you coach. Lay down your life for others. You're frustrated that your friends aren't as faithful as you think that they should be to you, and you're more faithful? Well, then bring them to church so they can learn about faithfulness. Lay down your life for your friends. He says, this is how we know love. He laid it down for us. We should lay it down for him. For most of us, though, others are just obstacles to overcome in our lives. Life would be great if it wasn't for other people. <laughs> They're just obstacles. This person is in my way at work. This person is in my way within the family. It's just an obstacle for you to overcome when we look at other people. Sometimes they're just resources for us to use. How can I use that person to get what I want? How can I put them right where I need them to be so that they can help me do what I want to do or go where I want to go or to have what I want to have? Let's just live together so that it's cheaper for rent. <laughs> just a resource. At best, sometimes they're just 
something or someone that we need in order to bring us joy. Well, I can get this from her, I can get this from him, all these different pieces. That's how we look at others, and that's not what God tells us the case should be. For most of us, life is lived in a mirror where self is the first thing that we see, right? We look at everything, and it's, it's about us. It's our, our, we are looking at ourselves, and everything we see and every influence, it comes through our self, how it affects us, what it costs us, what we have to do to maintain it. Going horizontal this morning is about having already gone vertical. Say vertical first. And when we go vertical, that mirror is shattered. That's what God does when you go vertical. He says, this selfishness thing that you have where it's all about you and how everything affects you, when you come to me, that mirror will be shattered. You will not be the center of your life anymore because I'm going to be the center of your life. You are going to evaluate things by what my word says. You are going to evaluate your decisions by how I feel about your behavior. You are going to evaluate how you do things by the love that you've received from me. When you go vertical, I just shatter that mirror for you. Everything you thought you were, everything you thought was important, every way that you wanted to live, I just crush all that for you. Then he says, when that happens, I give you a new heart and I give you new eyes, a new way to see and a new way to feel. I'm not just shattering it for the sake of shattering it so I can say that I'm God and you're not. I'm shattering it because it's not healthy and it's not good for you and it's not how I designed you to be. I shatter it, then I say, here's this new heart. You had a heart of stone, here's a heart of flesh. Here's some new eyes. You were seeing through spectacles of sin. I'm now going to give you eyes that are made new, that see through righteousness. Remember we talked about it on Wednesday night in our Bible study, how they, they tried to trap Jesus and they brought him to the church and there's a man with a withered hand. He said, can you heal him on the Sabbath? Jesus said, it's always time to do good. He didn't take his hand and make it a super hand. He just made it how it was supposed to be. Perfect without disease and without pain. Same thing with our eyes. When he gives you new eyes, he says, this is how I designed you to see. When you see other people, I don't want you to see them as obstacles. When you see other people, I don't want you to see them as somebody that you can take something from. So we go 90, new heart, new mind, right? And then he says, now I want you to see people as those that you are willing to lay your life down for. How can I lay my life down to help you? How can I lay my life down to help you? What can I give up so that instead of me having this much and you having nothing, that maybe we both have enough? And is it possible that what I now see as enough, maybe, God, you might want to change that so instead of just two people having enough, maybe what I really need is only this much and now 20 of us have enough because I'm willing to lay my life down for others because I don't see them how I used to see them and I don't see myself how I used to see myself. Sidewalk Sanctuaries Feeding Friends is a wonderful opportunity to see this, to see this love for others, to see love for strangers in action, right? Because we talk about stuff in church, and a lot of times you never see it. There's never real expression of the things that we talk about in church. That should not be the reality. The things that we talk about in, her, in here, oh, my Nelly, in her? <laughs> the things that we talk about in here they should be lived out out there. You're supposed to be a mad scientist. If God said, show grace and show love, you should go out and say, how can I show grace and how can I show love? 
We're talking about love and loving others, laying your life down, being, being willing to be humiliated like Jesus was for other people. You can't go into a riverbed and give somebody a hamburger. You can't go out there and watch and say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're loving people. We're loving strangers. Why? Because that's what God says. You want to go out and evaluate? Look around at the people out there and say, let's look at the heart with which they do these things. Is it just to do it because it's part of the church? Is it just to do it so they can say they did something? Or is somebody, just go out and watch, evaluate. Man, that person looks like they are really loving people, loving these strangers. Everybody has different gifts, but there's one body, one church, one spirit of God. We can encourage each other. Luke chapter 10, verse 23 says this. Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and they have not heard it. Jesus tells his disciples that what they see and hear, prophets and kings long to see and hear, but instead he's chosen to reveal it to them, to reveal it to the simple. I'm telling you as a church, it's not just sidewalk sanctuary. It's not just when we go out to uh, like we are today in the riverbed. But I'm telling you as a church, I have seen some things that are just miraculous. Just completely different than what I saw in the world and who I was in the world. And God would say the same thing in my opinion to us who are here today as he said to his disciples. He brought them together privately and he says, listen, kings, prophets, the highest orders, the presidents, everybody. They wish they could see what you guys see. They wish they could hear what you hear but I've chosen to reveal it to you who are simple. Average, run-of-the-mill, everyday folks. Fishermen and sinners. And I feel like, you know, I've said this before, and uh, people think I'm crazy, but I really, I really mean it. I said, I feel like my job is more important than the president's job. If somebody came to me and said, hey, you want to be president? Nope. Why not? I passed her out the way. What are you talking about? I get to talk about Jesus. I get to fellowship with people. I get to see people who are addicts become set free. I get to see marriages that are destroyed and in shambles be restored. I get to see sin forgiven. I get to see people who come in hopeless receive hope. I get to see kids who didn't have a chance and didn't have an opportunity and who were abandoned all of a sudden have joy and passion and love God and sing. I get to hear my son, who's three years old, leave from a men's breakfast yesterday and get in the car and start singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, we'll worship you. Why do I want to be president? What's better than what I get to do and what I get to be a part of? And then Jesus says it like this, kings and prophets long and wish they could see what you see and hear what you hear. How do you feel when you come in and out of church? What are you seeing and what are you hearing? Just after Jesus says this, somebody comes in. He tells the disciples privately, hey, everybody wishes they could see and hear and know what you know, but they can't. Right after that, in verse 25, if you're in your Bible, Luke 10 is where we're going to be for a moment. Right after that, Luke 10, verse 25, it says this, right then, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Listen to what Jesus says. He comes to him, How do I be saved? How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Well, what's written in the law? Matter of fact, not what's written in it. What is your interpretation? What do you think it says? <laughs> I love Jesus. He says, What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, 
This is the man talking back to Jesus. He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. Stop there. Verse 28. So this is a lawyer, a student of the law, someone who wants to know exactly what's right, exactly what's wrong, and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What is it going to take for me to go to heaven when I die? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Tell me the rules. Tell me the regulations. Let me know exactly what it is. And Jesus says this. It's about the right angles. He says, if you go vertical at 90 and you go horizontally at 180, you will enter heaven. You will have eternal life. He says, if you go and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, this is what it takes to, etern- to inherit eternal life, the right angles. So then the man has another question in verse 29. It says, but he, speaking of this man, wanting to justify himself. What do we say the issue is before you're able to go horizontally? Selfishness. The focus is on you. All you see is a mirror and how you're affected. All I want to know from Jesus about eternal life is how I can get it. It's about me. This man, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I understand, Jesus, i got to love God with everything I've got, and I've got to love my neighbor, but let's talk about this. What are the limitations of this neighborly love, he says? How far do I have to go? Who's actually my neighbor? I'll love God with everything i got, but when it comes to other people, I want to know what the limitations are. How big is this neighborhood? (laughs) What's the population? What are the city limits? Because I'm a lawyer. I'll do exactly what I have to do to make sure that I comply with the law. So Jesus, instead of giving him the answer he wants, you know what? Your neighbor is actually only the one to the right or the one to the left. Your neighbor is just a cul-de-sac you live on. Your neighbor is just a city by city name. Don't worry about unincorporated areas. Don't worry about other lives in other cities or other cultures or other nations. Somebody say Amen. God has has a lot of things that he says to us, but I want to share this with you. He says that you have a right and must defend your nation, right? He has the nation of Israel, and he says, if you don't do right by me and you don't defend yourself, you will be overtaken. So that is not the concern. However, what God does not say is that somehow anybody that is not an American, their life is less valuable to him. That we shouldn't care about the salvation of others. Another message for another day, but we are talking about going horizontally. Does it stop at, at the borders of the U.S.? Does it stop when you get into international waters? Does it stop because of culture and language? For many of us, uh, subconsciously it does. We don't feel like we're that way, but we are. We're comfortable with certain races and nationalities, but others we're like, hey, I got limits to this neighborly love stuff. If it's an American once in a while that goes crazy and does something and shoots people up and does something unbelievable, well, then the rest of us are still neighbors. There's just a crazy person. But if some other nation has some crazy people, those other uh, majority of that community is not our neighbor. So he wants to justify himself, and he asks Jesus, hey, what, what's the limitations on this neighborly love stuff? And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. One thing I love about Jesus, he always wants to tell somebody a story. I have a couple friends like that in my life and pastors like that in my life, and it's difficult, I'll be honest with you. You'll ask them a simple question like, hey, what do you think about this? Let me tell you a story. When I was seven, it's like, come on, man. 
I want to hear about when you were seven. I got to try to understand this and apply it to the question I'm asking you, but it's okay because that's what Jesus does a lot of times. The difference with Jesus is he's not making these stories up. These are real people in real situations. Somebody say amen. So Jesus says to him, let me tell you a story. Luke chapter 10, still verse 30. Jesus answered him. The question is, who's my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing Wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, so when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I think it's awesome that my dog's name is Mercy. <laughs> Say, who showed mercy on him? That's who his neighbor was. So the first thing I want to talk about is falling among thieves. The condition of every man, every woman, and every child that has not come to know Jesus is a condition of having fallen among thieves. We look at this story, and we have a picture of this is what it looks like. They got beaten, they got bruised, they got robbed, they fell among thieves. It's clear. That's not what God is trying to say to you and I. What he's saying is, if you don't know Jesus, if you are not saved, you have fallen among thieves. You have been robbed, you have been beaten, and you have been left for dead. Your hope has been taken from you. Your future has been taken from you. Your salvation has been stolen from you. By who? By Satan and his demons who have led us into sin. Think about that for a second. You're going in a certain direction. You, Satan rolls up on you with his demons, and they take your hope. They take your future. They say you were supposed to live, but you're going to die. You were supposed to have hope, but I'm taking that hope from you, so you have none. You're hopeless. So again, don't just think of people who are on physical hard times like we may see this afternoon in the riverbed. Anybody that doesn't know the Lord has been robbed and stolen from. It might not show physically all the time. And there are those who are on physical hard times, but they have everything that matters. They know the Lord and they have salvation and they have a hope. Isn't it interesting that this man who had been robbed was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was on his way from Jerusalem, which is the city of God. That's what it means, right? You know that when, when uh, in, the, in, the new, in the new heaven and new earth, it's called the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, where you and I are going to dwell for all of eternity? So this person is going from Jerusalem, the city of God, and they are journey, journeying where? To Jericho, a fortified city of the enemy. And it's when we go from Jerusalem to Jericho that we are robbed and beaten and stolen from. 
These same children I was just telling you that are singing songs in the car at three years old about God, if we are not careful and aware and teaching them and living it out at home, they will be robbed. They will go from Jerusalem where my kids dwell now and find themselves on the road to Jericho. Many of us, before we knew it, we were already residents of Jericho. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. And then he says what? They left them half dead. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's still hope. There's still hope for revival. Just because they were going in the wrong direction, just because they had everything taken from them, he still has life. He still has breath in his lungs. If somebody will go and love on them, they can be revived. So number one, falling among thieves. Make sure you have an idea and understanding of what that means. Number two, there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. It's not a joke. Priest, a Levite, and Samaritan walk into a bar. Let's talk about the priest. A priest is a man with a call, a man with a vision, and it's interesting. I, I read something that made a lot of sense to me. You know, the first thing we say is, you're the priest, you're the pastor, why don't you do something? But if you read back into the law, what you see is the priest could not be defiled. In order to do what God has called the priest to do in the locations that God has called the priest to do it, they cannot be defiled. So to come across a man that might be dead, to, to be defiled would prevent that priest from being able to make offerings and do the things that he was supposed to do sacrificially with the law, right? So there may be an opportunity to say, you know what? There are certain people who have certain calls that cannot be distracted from them. Didn't we see that with Jesus on Wednesday night in our Bible study? It said that the way that he lived, he was going in a certain direction and he would tell people, don't say anything about me. Why? Because I can't be distracted. I got to get to the cross. And there's so many good things that I could be doing, but if they prevent me from getting to the cross, nothing matters. You know, I think about that often as a pastor of this church. I want to do everything. I'm going to Feeding Friends today. I'll be on the next outreach that we do. If they'd let me, I'd come to 31 Status and Women's Bible Study. I want to do everything. I want to go everywhere. But you know what the reality is? God has a specific call and destiny and purpose for me. And then if I don't fulfill that, then I'm cheating everybody. So there's potential that maybe that was the case with the priest. However, Jesus was able to do it all. He made it to the cross. He, he did all the healing. He did all the loving. But again, I'm not Jesus, and this priest is not Jesus. We cannot sacrifice the true call that God has put on our lives to do just good things or even godly things. So maybe that's the case with, with this priest. We don't know. But it's worth considering. Somebody say amen. But then you get to the Levite. The Levites were chosen for ministry. There was the priest, right, that had certain requirements. And then the rest of the Levites, the, the, the tribe of Levi, they were chosen for the ministry at the church. So I think it's interesting that the Levite also passed by. Maybe they took the lead from the priest and said, hey, if they're passing by, I'm passing by. But let me, let me share something with you. A Levite is often somebody who is encouraged, who's growing, who's strengthened, who does ministry, who has these, 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 uh, these gifts and these calls. But they like to put that gift and call into a box and say, you know what? It's only good for this stage in worship. This gift and this call, it's only good for upstairs in my one classroom that I minister in. This gift and this call, it's only good for ushering and setting up and doing these things that I, that I do. But that's not really the reality. It's supposed to be a heart condition and a way of life that extends beyond the walls of this church. I think when you look at this story, if there's one group of people, especially today to talk to and to speak about, it's the Levites because you guys are all in church. And in our church, everybody's doing something. But man, it's got to go beyond here. 
We can't walk out of this place and then see somebody hurting out there and not do anything about it. You're a Levite. The Levite had resources. The Levite had a call. The Levite had gifts and abilities and needed to use them. I remember hearing a story about a pastor that, that set up in his church parking lot as a homeless man. And everybody came into the church and not one person stopped to check on him. And then he comes in to preach, right? That's the Levites crossing the road. Everybody pulling into the church parking lot. Imagine that, seeing this homeless man getting out of their car and going into the church. Imagine what that made the pastor feel like. I'm obviously not leading the way I should be. I'm obviously not pastoring the way that I should be. I remember uh, a couple years ago when we did the series, Adam, right? All things to all men. I, I, I preached a message as a homeless man. Jacked up, tore up. I went behind the church. I called Zach because I needed something. I couldn't come into the church because I didn't want to show you guys. But I called Zach and I said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm behind the church. Come out and bring me something. He came out and couldn't find me. I had to call him twice. He's like, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> the idea is, if you look at that Levi, how we should consider ourselves as men and women of ministry, men and women who God has changed our lives and given us an opportunity to share that. But it definitely has to get outside of this church. Somebody say amen. But then you've got the Samaritan. It's the story of the good Samaritan, right? There's a good Samaritan law. I teach first aid and CPR, and what the good Samaritan law says, if you're truly trying to help somebody, you can't be sued for it, right? So this good Samaritan, things you need to know about them, though, is that they are the sworn enemies of the children of God, of the church, of the priests, and of the Levites. They're enemies. They're considered second-class citizens and heathens. There's no value to them. There's no worth to them. Remember this story, John chapter 4, verse 7. This is a story of Jesus coming across a Samaritan. It says this, a woman of Samaria, this is John 4, 7, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. He did this when the disciples were away. Why? Because how they would have looked at her. Because she was a second class citizen and a woman of Samaria. Verse 9 says this, but then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So when you read the story of the Good Samaritan, know that it's much deeper than what you see initially at the surface. She even comes up to Jesus and says, why are you talking to me? We know how you think about us. We know how you feel about us. We know the lines and the borders. We know that we're second class citizens, but not in God's eyes. Jesus says, hey, my people may act like that sometimes. The church may act like that sometimes, but I'm God. If you go vertical, I'll show you something different. Not only will I talk to you, even though you're a woman, out here by yourself at the well because of the way you've been behaving, you can't come out with the rest of the women because how they're going to treat you, I'll talk to you. Not only are you a Samaritan, second-class citizen that no Jew will talk to because they'll defile themselves by talking to you, but I'll talk to you. All right? So you've got a priest, a Levite, and you've got a Samaritan. Right? Number three we're going to focus on is how to love your neighbor. That was the original question that the man asked him, right? Remember there's a lawyer. Jesus talks to all his disciples. A lawyer comes up. Jesus just told his disciples, listen, everybody wants to see what you see and hear what you hear, but they can't. Right when he's talking to him, a lawyer comes up and says, how do I get into heaven? He says, how do you think you get into heaven? He says, love the Lord God, 90 degrees, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself, 180 degrees. Jesus says, yes, that's true. He says, well, how do I do that? Who are my neighbors? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He tells him the story of the good Samaritan. Who has fallen among thieves? 
what it means to be a priest, a Levite, or a Samaritan in this story, and then finally, how to love your neighbor. That was the original question. Who is my neighbor and how do I love him? This is how you love your neighbor. First thing it says in the story, it says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, the man that had fallen and been, been robbed by thieves, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You want to know how to love your neighbor? Have compassion. You want to know how to have compassion? Read the Bible, and it says every time Jesus was moved with what? Compassion. Jesus was not moved with sorrow. Jesus was not moved with disappointment. Jesus was not moved with sympathy. Jesus was not moved with empathy. Jesus was moved with compassion. True care, true consideration. Not is this the right thing to do and why is it the right thing to do and blah, blah, blah. No, he had compassion and it compelled him. A heart that's been transplanted, a heart of stone that's become a heart of flesh because it went 90 degrees and had a transplant, that kind of heart can be moved with compassion. That's why I said, if you decide to come today, if you decide to go on other outreaches, if you decide to just be a man or woman, you saw the video. It said, stop trying to make the church the place of compassion and love and make your life extend with compassion and love. To your teachers, to your classmates, to the people at the drive through window, it doesn't matter who it is, when your heart is changed, that compassion flows everywhere. So the first thing, the Samaritan, it says that when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The second thing it says about him, it says he went to him and bandaged his wounds. You want to know how to love your neighbor? Become a person who is willing to go and get close enough to bandage wounds. It's one thing to say, you know what? That sucks. And my heart is broken. I have compassion. It's another thing to say, I will go to them and get close enough to bandage the wounds. That means I might get blood on me. That means I might smell something I don't want to smell. That means they might say something that, that I don't want to hear when I get there. But I've got to be close enough to touch them if I'm going to bandage wounds. And I've got to go to them. You can't just say, hey, if you come over here, I'll bandage you up. If you come into the church, I'll take care of your wounds. If you bring me a document saying that you don't have any diseases, I'll touch you. Somebody recently gave me a form like that saying, I'll love to help you, but unless you come asking for it, you ain't going to get it. Hold up. <laughs> now let me encourage you. There is a principle that says, you know what? The, uh, the squeaky wheel is going to get the oil. Closed mouth, don't get fed, right? So if you need something, you better say something. And we all understand that to some degree, right? Look, if you're struggling... In your marriage, ask for counseling. Because we don't know because you show up and everything looks good. If you're struggling with your kids, say something. We don't know because when you bring them here, you get them outside and you say, you better act right until we leave this place and everything looks like they're fine. If you're struggling with your finances, we don't know, you better say something. All we see is maybe you don't believe in giving. <laughs> when instead you should be saying, you know what, I barely have enough to live on and I'm in debt that I don't understand and I don't know how to get out of it. Is there help? You have to actually voice yourself sometimes. However... It's another thing to say, I know the world is broken. I know that people are hurting. I know that people are scarred. And you know what? I'm willing to help if they're willing to come into the church and ask for salvation and ask for help and ask for prayer. I think we're talking about two different things. There's a way that Jesus would speak to the disciples and he would say to them, look, you ain't a baby. 
Get off that milk and get onto the solid food. But there's another way that he spoke to Samaritans. He said, I'll meet you at the well. The well that you're already going to. In the city that you live in. In the sin that you've been involved in. When he tells her, go get your husband. I know you already had five and the one that you're with now you're shacked up with. I'll meet you there to talk with you. You want to love your neighbor? We have to be willing to go there and bandage there. Somebody say amen. Next thing it says about this good Samaritan, it says that they were, he was pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. So he was moved with compassion first, right? Then he got close enough, he went to him and bandaged him up. Then after the bandaging, it says that he poured on oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal. God is looking for someone, if you want to be one who loves your neighbor, who truly goes horizontal, who goes at 180 degrees, a person who's willing to share what they have. It's one thing not to give somebody something that you don't have, right? (laughs) I can't give you something that I don't have. But you know what? This is my oil and this is my wine, and I was going to enjoy it. And I've been saving it for a long time. And you know what? I've had a lot of things taken from me, so I'm holding on to this. However, this is what I have. This is what I'm going to give. This is my animal. It's my car. (laughs) It might not look like much to you, but it's mine, and it costs me a lot. But you know what it says about the Good Samaritan? He put him on his animal. You know what Jesus said? He told Peter, hey, I need to use your boat. I'm God. I can walk on water. Why would I tell him to let me use your boat? Because he's talking, he's, he's focused on a heart condition. Is that your boat or is that the Lord's boat? I walk on water, yet I still ask for someone's boat. I'm rich beyond belief, but I still ask for your 10%. I could feed him. I've dropped down manna from heaven before, yet I ask you to go into that riverbed and make some food. We try so hard to compel people to do things, and what Jesus is saying is that you shouldn't have to be compelled. I'm giving you a great opportunity. Kings and, and, and prophets wish they could hear me calling them to the riverbed. Somebody who's willing to share what they have, right? His oil, his wine, his own animal. Then it says this, then he brought him to an inn and took care of him. If you want to love your neighbor, what God's looking for is a person who will try to get people to a safe place to heal, right? He had compassion, He got close enough to touch them and to heal the wounds. He shared what he had, right? Hey, here's the oil I got. Here's my animal. You know, you can can sit in this car and get you somewhere. But then the next thing it says that he brought him to an inn and took care of him, right? You have to be willing to get that person to a place where they can actually heal in a safe place so they don't get robbed again. How about the church? Is the church a safe place to bring someone to heal and to be restored and to be mended? Will you actually be there to take care of him? Because it doesn't say that he just dropped him off. It says that he took him to the inn and took care of him. So when you bring somebody to church, do you invite them, tell them how good it is, sit next to them, and then they don't see you for two weeks? Or are you there to take care of them because you're the only person they know? Do you go out on an outreach and give somebody a flyer, then they show up and you're not even there? Do 
you talk to somebody at the Jericho, and then again, you're not there to minister to them when they do show up? You see what I'm saying tonight? You get it, right? The Good Samaritan. He took him to the inn. When Jesus was born, the Bible says that there was no room for him in the inn. There was no room for him. He was hurting. He was broken. He was uh, born to a mother that was being um, uh, abused and called uh, 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 unfaithful because she was engaged to be married. And there was no room for him in the end. There was no room for his family in the end. Is there room here at the way in <laughs> for those who have fallen among thieves? Can people come in this place bruised, battered, robbed, and find room, find people to love them, care for them, minister to them, check on them, sit close to them even when they smell? Will we be moved with compassion? Will you share what you have with them? Will you bandage wounds? Will you actually care for them? Right. See, this, this horizontal 180 thing is kind of difficult. Somebody say amen. We think it's enough to just be a Christian and invite people to church. That's why I showed the video. That's not really what God says. When somebody asked him, and thank God he asked, you know, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated with this lawyer because I know what he was trying to do, but that's what I do too. What do I have to do just to be right with you, God? And then Jesus just like, oh, since you asked, let me tell you how far off you are. <laughs> you sharing your oil? You sharing your wine? You sharing your, your animal? You bandaging wounds? You going to people? Are you moved with compassion? Do you take them into your inn? Do you stay with them and care for them? That's what it means to love your neighbor. So you probably wish you didn't ask. So you can still feel good about whatever it is that you're doing. The last one. And this is not to be a discouragement. It's just a, how many of you, just be honest. Let's use work for an example. How many of you would just like to know what the expectation is so that you can give what you have to try to meet it? Does anybody ever get frustrated when you feel like you're trying to meet the expectation and the expectation continues to move? You just asked me to do this and I did it. Why am I in trouble? You specifically said to go and get this, and I went and got that. Why is it not enough? That's what I was trying to do in the car this morning when Mary was crying. I was like, look, girl, whatever I can do, I'm willing to do it, but you got to say something. Tell me what I did. Tell me what I didn't do. Tell me what I need to do so I know what the expectation is, and I promise I will try to meet it. So again, this message is not to discourage you. I see you sitting there like, dang it. I knew this was a day to take off. It's not a discouragement. Please believe me. What it is, is is God saying to you, here's the expectation. Come 90, and then I'll help you meet it. Come 90, and I'll help you meet it. But if you don't want to come 90, don't get mad at me when you don't meet the expectation, and when the gates open and you're standing there, I say, flee from me, I never knew you. Because I told you over and over again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You should have came like this lawyer did and said, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor? This is just the expectation, and he will help us. You can't do it on your own. He says that throughout Scripture. What I've talked about this morning so far, and we're about to close, let me tell you this. You have no hope and no chance of doing it on your own. But if you go 90, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and be able to do it. The last one, it says this. When he departed, this good Samaritan, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of them, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. 
If you want to love your neighbor, God is looking for a person willing to make long-term investments. This ain't no short end game. This ain't a couple months in church. This ain't no, hey, come to church, give your life to Jesus, and I hope it all works out for you. He took him to the end. He cared for him as long as he could. He had other things that he needed to do and other places he had to be, but he said, this is a long-term investment. Here's my own resources. Take care of him. And guess what? This isn't me giving you a couple dollars and I'm going to disappear forever. He says, when I come again, I am coming back. I am invested in this person's life. I love them and I will be back. And when I get back, I'll take care of it. That's a long-term investment. I'm not going anywhere. It may look like it because physically I have to be in another place, but spiritually I'm invested here. What it means to love your neighbor is to be committed to the end. A long-term investment. Jesus said this to the disciples. I'm about to go back to heaven, and you're going to feel as if I've abandoned you. But just so you know, I'll never abandon you. I'm with you to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the age, excuse me. I'm not going anywhere. Physically, it looks like I'm going somewhere, but spiritually, I'm with you. Matter of fact, I'm so with you spiritually that I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you. And anything that anybody does for you, don't worry about it. I'll repay them when I see them. That's what the Good Samaritan story is all about. It's a long-term investment. He says, listen, here's my two denarii. Take care of them. And when I come back, which I will, I'll repay you. Because I love them and they're my responsibility. Oh, if we could love our neighbors like this. If we could love strangers like this. If we could love the people who piss us off in the church like this. If we could love the people at our job like this. And the prayer this morning is that it becomes less of an if and, a, and it becomes more of a must. Because that's what Jesus says, this is what you must do. The question was what? <clears throat> How do I inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, but this is how you love your neighbor. Let's worship, let's pray. Worship team, would you come? Praise the Lord, we can give the Lord a hand, amen. Why don't, we all, why don't we all stand? We're going to pray, we're going to worship, but I'm going to release you guys and, and uh, just set you free. Set you free and unleash you upon the world. One thing I'll tell you is that if you're here and you're saved, you already know the Lord. He says that he's already sent his spirit to dwell with inside of you, and you're not going to necessarily become a great lover of others by waiting for God to just impart that into you. You're going to become a great lover of others by going out and trying to love people, going out and trying to love the unlovable, making a phone call to somebody that you've been struggling with, sending an apology or, or asking to, to be able to hang out or fellowship, going out to somebody that you don't know. You have to actually put these things into place. So I want to release you to do that. If you need prayer, I'll be here. We can pray for a few minutes that God would encourage you. But it gets worked out out there, whatever that means. That might mean when you go to a restaurant, don't be one of those people that put your money down on the counter. Get close enough. Give the person your money in their hand. It means a lot. It might mean that when somebody's on the side of the road, instead of saying, you know what, they're probably lazy, they're probably going to spend it on booze, that you roll down your window and you say, hey, what's your name? What's your name that I could give you something and pray for you by name? Because it doesn't matter what you do with this little bit of resources. I believe that I'm filled with the Spirit. And just by knowing your name and praying for you, you might come closer to God. It might mean by giving somebody a hamburger that you've never met before and being able to say, you know what, you matter. You matter to God. You might be reminded how much you matter to God by doing that. 
But none of that's going to happen in this building. It's all going to happen out there somewhere. So as we pray and as we close, I'm going to read just a couple verses that Jesus really finishes this story with. He starts by telling them, hey, my disciples, I got something special and it's only for you. Then he, he ministers to this lawyer and he tells them, this is what it really means to love your neighbor, to love God and to love your neighbor. And then he tells a quick story, and it's the perfect closer in my opinion. He tells a quick story so that people would remember that it's about the right angles. Not just the right angle, but the right angles. You can't forget about the 90 because you want to go 180 so bad, right? And you can't forget about the 180 because you want to go 90 so bad. Jesus says this at the end of that story in Luke chapter 10. This is verse 38. It says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. All Martha wanted to do was go to the riverbed. All Martha wanted to do was outreach. All Martha wanted to do was give everything she had to anybody in need. She wanted to serve. She wanted to work. She wanted to labor. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Tell her to go on outreach. Tell her to give. Tell her to just share. Stop being selfish. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. Say your own name three times right now. Go ahead. Vaughn, Vaughn, Vaughn. <laughs> Jesus said to her, Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Jesus said, listen, I just told you a crazy story about a good Samaritan. I just told you how deep loving others has to be, how far you have to go, how much you have to give, and how you have to be invested long term. But let me remind you, there's one thing that's needed. You can't do that without the other. There's one thing that's needed, and that's what Mary chose. You're over here cooking, cleaning, going, giving, restoring, and you know what Martha's doing? She's doing the 90 thing. She's doing the 90 thing. She's at my feet. She's talking to me. She's listening to me. I'm empowering her to serve without needing help. I'm empowering her to go without looking around saying who is not going. What I'm doing with her is going to allow her to go much further. What you're doing, you're going to burn out. You're going to get frustrated with other people. When you're done complaining,